same thing with sleep. Like if you take time to prioritize an actual, like very important active process for your body, you're gonna be tenfold better in your day-to-day activities. Welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we talk about pain, rehab, performance, and education. If you have questions about the nuance that we dive into, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about it. Apart from that, we hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and we hope everyone stays safe and is staying healthy. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast, episode 105. We're going to talk a little bit about sleep, um, and we are blessed to be joined by Dr. Nisha Meyer. Hello. How's it going, guys? And future Dr. Tyler Boyd. Hello. How you guys doing? And uh, just for some context, Tyler is completing his DPT at Temple. He's a few months away from finishing that up. And he's currently spending some time with us at uh, Precision. So he, you guys might hear him on here. Um, got pretty long, extensive experience with strength conditioning, personal training type stuff. So he'll have um, some value to add to the conversation as well as uh, today's discussion, like I already alluded to, being sleep. Um, he has some background in doing some research in sleep. But in particular, Dr. Nisha Meyer here has undergone uh, some research titled The Impact of Sleep Quality on DPT Students' Health-Related Quality of Life. Um, And so we're going to talk a little bit about her experience with that research project more broadly, some of what they found, what Nisha's learned, and then maybe Tyler and I will try to add to the conversation in any way that we can. (laughs) Um, So Nisha, just to start off, welcome back. Thank you. Missed you guys. Uh, It's been a while. I'm still here. It's probably been a good 10, 15 episodes, I think, since you've been on. Um, And so just open it up and because I actually am not super familiar with what you did in terms of your research here. So tell me a little bit about the background of how you got involved in it and a little bit of, you know, what you did. Yeah. So... Temple, at the end of your three years, has an evidence-based research project day, and you have a choice between doing your own research study that you conduct, or you can do like a lit review, where you pick a topic that you're interested in, and then you look at the research that's been done, um, apply it to a patient case, and just build from there, and it's more of like a poster, an interactive conversation with the faculty and um, the school public health, anyone that really wants to come to that day. But I decided to do my own research because I've been really fascinated in sleep health. And I think the industry as a whole is pushing for more of a holistic approach on treating patients, which includes um, sleep, nutrition, and just general well-being and mental health. So I was like, all right, let me take a look into this. And when I was originally trying to do a lit review where I just look at the research of what's been done for physical therapy and sleep, there was nothing on physical therapy students and their sleep. There was a bunch on nursing, pharmacy, and uh, med school students. But I was like, wow, this is crazy. I'm just going to do my own study. So the faculty is great at Temple. Um, Shout out to Bill Egan. Uh, He's a huge influence on my passion for MSK and sleep. And I decided to run the study on the DPT students that were there and their sleep quality with 
health-related quality of life, which we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. Nice. Um, what what made you select kind of doing the RCT yourself, having to collect data and do all that versus a systematic review? Like, was it just that you got interested in this topic and not enough was out there? Well, yeah, kind of. And part of it to me was that day makes research kind of boring, I think, if you're just presenting like all the facts, right? And it's really interesting when you talk personally about something. Like, I found this, and these are what our students are showing. I think it just makes research feel more valued and applicable to our day-to-day. And that's how I think we should really be applying to research in, like, PT. Like, oh, I have this patient. What can I look at? How does it make it personal instead of, like, yada, 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 I'm reading all these books and all these facts. Plus, it's just my personality to go. 110 <laughs> percent yeah it, it definitely makes it more engaging especially if on the surface you don't have a, a ton of interest in reading other people's work um so that makes sense but i i think it's important that you know we often provide caveats on this show in terms of framing the conversation in a certain light uh, whenever people hear about sleep myself included to some degree you just kind of roll your eyes sometimes because you know that they're gonna tell you to sleep seven or eight hours, gonna tell you to close the, turn off the lights, you mm-hmm. know, get off your cell phone, make it dark, make it cold. And I think that oftentimes folks can have kind of that eye roll reaction to, well, I know that I should be sleeping well and you're just gonna be the 15th person to tell me that. Um, do you ever feel like that whenever you get exposed to some sleep yeah, information? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's kind of like weight loss. Like everybody knows you should be eating healthy, but for me, I just love like behavior change and what that looks like. So that's why I kind of looked at more of the relationship with sweet sleep quality and health-related quality of life because <clears throat> everyone knows that sleep is important. Everyone knows that that's a natural part of our life that we need to be um, doing and restoring our bodies so that we can be the best in our day-to-day, similar to weight loss and nutrition, but why aren't people participating in healthy habits? So that's kind of why I took it more in a like qualitative um, relationship, just to see like PT students are advocating for these things, but are they actually doing it? Yeah, and I mean, that makes sense in terms of if you're going to add new knowledge to the literature, which was your aim, seeing that there was very little looking at this with DPT students, obviously establishing that better sleep improves mental performance and memory. That's not necessarily adding anything new, um, just doing that in, in PT students. And I think that PT school, for those of you who have not gone or you know, went in a, in a unique program that maybe was remote or, or whatever, in general, it's fairly hard. Uh, and you're going to spend a fair amount of nights without adequate sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that sometimes you can get into a position where you are kind of coasting through some habits, like you said, and some behaviors that you're not necessarily being conscious of. So I've run into certain things for myself where... I'm doing things that are contributing negatively to my sleep habits, but I'm not doing them with the conscious awareness that they're contributing negatively. I'm just kind of like going through the motions and I get to the end of the day and I'm going to scroll my phone. I'm going to 
you know, watch Netflix or do whatever it is. And I'm not being as conscious with my sleep habits. And that's why I think that the value comes in in terms of behavior change. So you're looking at a lot more than just sleep in a sense. You're looking at how can I modify habits that I have that are contributing negatively to something that I'm doing. And that, like you said, can apply similarly to weight loss and nutrition interventions, but you know, is seen as something that's a particular challenge in sleep, even though we all know how valuable it is. I feel like people also, and this is something I just learned um, when I was going through the literature, is people see sleep as like inactivity. And I think at least in our culture, people are so driven on going like, go, go, go. The more you can do, the better you are, the more you contribute to society. But actually you're taking a bigger step forward. And I think we would say the same parallels are to um, like taking a time out from your training program and doing a little bit more focus on breaking and taking a step back so that you can go 10 times heavier in your lift. Same thing with sleep. Like if you take time to prioritize an actual like very important active process for your body, you're going to be tenfold better in your day-to-day activities. Yeah. It's just so hard to buy that whenever you're like, (laughs) I need an hour more and I can finish up this paper. Yep. And if I sleep, I'm not, I'm not going to wake up with it finished. Yeah. Right. And the temptation is there to just you feel like you are being so much more productive when you sleep less. Yeah. And maybe at a certain point, you obviously can't just continue to extend your sleep up to 12 hours a night and still be getting massive improvements in productivity from 10 hours a night to 12 hours a night. Yeah. But it's likely that going from a position of being under rested to sufficiently rested is going to improve your productivity. But it just doesn't feel like that when you're thinking about it. Well, how much, Tyler, how much sleep did you get last night? Given it's your first day here, so you might have been nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, I probably got about, let's say, maybe seven hours of sleep. But I also have a new puppy at home, so she's been <laughs> she's been waking me up for a little bathroom breaks in the middle of the night. Um but yeah, so on average, I usually try to get like seven, eight hours of sleep. Um, and just like a little side note from what we're kind of talking about with sleep, I just always feel like the fir- when life gets stressful, the first thing that always goes in people's lives is what you're kind of talking about, Max, is sleep, right? Because we need to be more productive. We need to, I need to be able to get this paper done. I need to be able to study for this exam. So what is going to suffer? Sleep is going to suffer. I'm only going to sleep four hours, five hours. Um, and then it's a lot with like clients and patients that we see as well. Like every, a lot of them don't get a lot of sleep and we know the impacts that sleep has, right? So when, key point being, generally the first thing that always goes with people is sleep when life gets stressful. That's what I've noticed at least. True. Max? How much did I sleep? Is yep. that what you're asking? Oh, last night was not a good one. And oh, that's what everyone perfect. says. <laughs> um, yeah, it just... Yeah, I think that let's let's actually let's check the Fitbit. Oh, um, just this keeps you honest. Please. And the worst part about the Fitbit is that, uh, and I don't know if it's like this for you. Don't have a Whoop strap, do you? No. I don't know if it's like this, but it probably is that it only gives you, like, if I fell asleep at nine mm-hmm. and woke up at five, right? We would say, oh, you got eight hours of sleep. Fitbit is measuring the times, even those little intervals of five minutes where you're awake during the night. And it's obviously not factoring those in. So even though you might have fell asleep at nine and woke up at five, 
Fitbit's going to tell you you got seven hours, yeah. right? Because yeah. that was a genuine yeah. sleep. Right. So that that I think is an important distinction because. Most of the research that at least I've seen is measuring sleep from a time you fell asleep to time you woke up, not necessarily true time you spent asleep. And so if you're looking at recommendations that are seven to eight hours, maybe on your Fitbit, that's more six and a half to seven and a half or, or something of that nature. Um, so the the numbers that you give may vary a little bit that's just a very long way of giving myself an so, evidence-based excuse so how much as to why the fitbit get? says uh <laughs> six hours and 10 minutes is, is what it says um the night before seven hours and 27 minutes then eight hours and 47 just, we just minutes. needed it yesterday that's okay you the week be before though is a lot of five and sixes which is is not good but well, I'm in residency. Come on. <laughs> I just asked that because, well, and also to take a side note, we are not sleep doctors. We cannot um, like prescribe any medication related to sleep or um, different steps that you need to take. This is all just based on the research that I've seen. In general, the CDC recommends seven hours just because the general population, that's what they have found. Um, anything under that is more linked to chronic diseases like obesity, diabetes, and just decreased health in general. But actually, some people do run better on less sleep. Like there is, like like anything in life, everything's particular to you. And I think just kind of experimenting with the optimal amount of sleep that you feel best at running at. For most people, that's at like that seven plus or minus hours. But some people need that like ten hours, and some people need. Um, less sleep or some people are more night owls some people are more morning people as long as you get in that amount of time total um, that helps you be productive that's what's most important yeah and I know that there are I know that you know there are those glorified individuals in society like that we think like the rock and Albert Einstein I think slept like three hours I don't know there's all these mythical stories about people who only sleep four or five hours and are doing completely fine. And, and those do exist. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue is that it's underrated or underappreciated how few and far between they are. Like those are true outliers where we're looking at maybe one in a thousand, one in 10,000. I don't know what, unfortunately, I don't have actual data on that. But there was a book written, um, the author was Michael something. Uh, is how we sleep or why, why we, we sleep. sleep. Yeah, why so we good. sleep. Mm-hmm. And and um, in that book, he, he was discussing and shared some data on, you know, the the likelihood that you would be one of those outliers. It's very, very low is the point. Yeah. And most individuals or a lot of individuals who don't sleep a ton think, oh, I must be one of those people because I only sleep five hours and I feel fine. Mm-hmm. Probably you aren't one of those people. You sleep five hours and you function at a significantly lower level than you could otherwise function if you actually slept well. And that's probably an excuse for you not to sleep well and not to implement behavioral change. I'm sorry. Uh, Unfortunately, that's just what is most likely statistically. You're just not one of those outliers. Um, Then let's transition to um, a little bit more about what you actually did for the research. So we kind of know why you did it, what your rationale was, what the lack was that you were filling. Mm -hmm. Um, What did you actually do? So 
Pretty much. I looked at the research of what um, outcome measures, like different surveys I would use that could um, quantify scores for qualitative traits. Like how you sleep, I have to have an actual number so I can um, provide value to the actual relationship. And so the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index is a popularly used gold standard for sleep. The biggest thing for at least Temple uh, PT students at that time is that so many people want to do their own research that um, survey fatigue was actually a real thing. So that was something that I had to um, really look into the outcome measures to make sure that it would be a gold standard, something that I could use and was reliable and valid, but also didn't have like 50 questions on top of these students studying, taking tests, and the last thing they want to do is do, what, a thousand questions about why they should be sleeping and their health-related quality of life. So I digress, but we're going back to the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index, which looks at the quality of your sleep. You answer different questions about, um, like, if you feel too cold, too hot at night, if you slept well, if you have bad dreams, anything like that, um, from a score from, like, zero to three, like, how many times a week did you have those issues? If you have a score less than a five, that means you're a good sleeper. Score higher than a five, you're a poor sleeper. So the more things you tick on that um, outcome measure, the higher you're gonna have poor sleep. Then on the other hand, I looked at health-related quality of life, which really means anything from physical, emotional, social health, uh, sexual health, everything that makes us human, that makes us feel good, that we can do our day-to-day -day things. I use the short form health survey, which pretty much has different uh, domains from physical, mental, and social health. And then I could compare each of those different domains with the student's score with their sleep. So that's how I kind of compared the relationship between the two. The more commonly used one is the um, short health form 36 questionnaire. But honestly, with the uh, student fatigue of questions, I had to use the 12 questions. Hmm. Hmm? Um, and then so what did you guys find whenever you parsed through the, the data you got from those? So the breakdown goes first year students, which are in their first year of PT school, second year students, and third year students. And I had 109 participants, and it was about 50-50 for uh, male and female, and the average age was between 20 to 44. Now, in general, when you're looking at poor sleepers versus good sleepers, I compared the data to the general population. And actually, at the time that I took this, which was in the fall semester, of 2019, um, most of Temple's DPT, doctor PT students were good sleepers, which is awesome. Um, and then looking at their physical health score, very positive that PT students prioritize that. So we were above the general population there. But actually I started to see trends regarding mental health be a lot lower than the general population. So then I looked for a relationship between the two and given like the moment that I did my study in that fall semester, which really isn't a heavy academic time as well, just a little side note compared to like spring exams or going on clinicals. Um, there was no statistical correlation, which means if you looked on a scatter plot, sleep scores were super high and your health related quality of life were like, they were just all over the place. There was no rhyme or reason. Um, but then when I looked more deeply into that mental health bit, PT students actually fell um, below the average and like even more than one standard deviation. So that's pretty significant compared to the general population. And you find that most 
healthcare students fall below the general population for mental health, which I was like, wow, this is not what I expected, but this is significant. Yeah, so you measured at a time that there maybe was less rigor involved in the academic program. So they actually were, and and the variation there for, again, those of you who haven't been or, or aren't super uh, involved, the variation is pretty substantial. Like you go from being Mm-hmm. insanely stressed for a month to you have absolutely nothing to do for a month mm-hmm. right and so depending on when you take these measurements which is why it's important to reproduce research you could get tremendously varying results um, and so the sleep in this context was not something that was particularly poor for the group as a whole compared to the general population. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you're seeing that there are, the mental health was low. And so did you feel like at the end that you, there may have been a relationship there between sleep and mental health that you didn't capture? Or is this suggesting that, you know, maybe there's other factors at play that seem to be contributing to mental health and mental well-being um, that maybe we're not measuring or that, you know, we're not looking at? Definitely. Well, I think in general, research on mental health is going up, and I think there is a need to look at it with sleep. I think it would be fascinating if we redid this right now with COVID. Like, what would this look like? Um, it's a very niche population I'm looking at with physical therapy students. I think we we just prioritize our physical well-being as well as our sleep. And so I actually was happy to see that result. But it, it would be really interesting to see if people did studies now, what is the correlation between um, mental health and your quality of sleep? It could be a little bit of like chicken versus the egg, you know? For sure. But um, I don't know, Tyler, you, you are coming out of school right now in clinicals. Like what have you found at least being a student with sleep and mental health in general? Well, going back to kind of what you were saying with like the, the sleep stuff, um, I think with everything with COVID, if you said you took these, you did this research now, um, I actually think it would be a lot different just from the fact that like, you know, Nisha being like a Temple student, which side note, by the way, I think I was a participant in this study. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I think I think I was in there. Um, but anyway, but just being everything being shifted over to Zoom, right, and not actually going into the classroom, that saved me an hour of sleep in the morning. Like waking up, being like having my classes straight from my couch, right? That saved me from waking up a little bit earlier in order to get ready to go up to Temple, mm-hmm. right? Do you go so to bed it, later now, though? No. Well, I mean, I'm very inconsistent on what okay. time I do go to bed. I just wonder if most people adjust and then start going to bed yeah. at midnight since they only have to get up at 7 yeah. rather than Maybe. going to bed at 11 yeah. since they have to get up at yeah. 6. I'm very consistent or sorry, very inconsistent with that. Um, but just that's kind of the first thing that popped in my head that I kind of saved a little bit of sleep in the morning mm. because I didn't actually have to wake up and get ready and go to temple. You know? Yeah, I know. I've actually had a, several other people kind of tell me that about the change in their lifestyle whenever COVID hit, just that they were actually able to sleep more. Like I know Marissa, my girlfriend, she definitely sleeps more now than she was before. Mm -hmm. She had a pretty brutal commute. It was fairly far away in traffic. You know, you need to leave earlier. You want to get a coffee. You have to get dressed because it's an office like business job. And, and so there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. 
Um, so yeah, I know for in her instance yeah. and in many others, they've been able to sleep more. Um, I we're don't know if mental health has improved though as a whole. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're year. losing so much stimuli day to day too. Like, I don't know about you guys, but like COVID dreams were kind of a real thing in the beginning when we went into the lockdown. Like I felt like I couldn't sleep well. My only interaction was my house and then outside to work out. Like you just, yeah. you lose how much that you interact and do things day to day. That and you're just like probably burning so many fewer calories. Like your body just isn't tired at night, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the things when we talk about, because I've always been regarded anyone who, any of my friends in college who I lived with or Marissa, who I've been with since then and before, um, people have always looked at me and like, dude, you sleep. The moment that you decide you want to sleep, you can sleep. Um, and part of that, I think, is just because I'm fairly on my feet all day, fairly active. I obviously train with barbells generally pretty hard. And I feel like I just get to the end of the night and I'm so exhausted that sleep is an absolute non-issue versus a lot of other times you know, if someone isn't as active, maybe they do have other things that are challenging them from a mental health standpoint that are limiting them from being active, which contributes them to not sleeping well, which makes those mental health issues a little bit worse and makes them less interested in activity, which makes them again sleep even worse. And it can become a vicious cycle where a lot of these factors realistically do contribute to each other. And it's not to say that in all of those instances, Sleep is the thing that if you quote unquote fix, the other things will be fixed. Sometimes the relationship, like you said, Nisha, it might be a little chicken or the egg where, hey, maybe if we implement some exercise based stuff, you'll be able to sleep better. Not if you sleep better, you'll be willing to exercise. And Mm -hmm. so it's not always necessarily going to be the final frontier in terms of things that you need to intervene in. Um, But as you've alluded to, it's an important component in the multifactorial you know, web of determinants of things that are going to contribute to whether or not you sleep well and then uh, how a lot of those other things in your life play out. Um, transitioning a little bit more into clinical practice, so a little less student-oriented or, or lifestyle-oriented, how do you, how much and when do you start to consider sleep as something that you're going to try to intervene and in or discuss with a patient? Well, I think it all comes down to like the therapeutic alliance you make with that person. Like you're not going to do an initial evaluation and see someone with like bags under their eyes and be like, how much sleep are you getting? You just met this person and they're coming to you for physical therapy. I think it's more on us to create that relationship. And then you kind of catch a beat for this person's not sleeping or it's something that they open up to you about. And it may just be, one, the general lifestyle that they have, depending on their work. And you have to think, okay, I have 45 minutes to one hour with this person. What can I actually do in my scope, in my role to be helpful? Because you may not really be that person that's going to change their sleep patterns, but you can either modify their activity to help with the pain they may be having or lack of exercise and give them a little bit of a time to just focus on their body in that moment. Or you might have to be that person that says, listen, we got to pull back on your load because the load of the stress and the sleep that you're not able to get is taking over. And I know we can't change that right now, but what we can change is how much the other things you're doing. So that's kind of where I take it. Um, There's a great article 
on like sleep health promotion, practical information for physical therapists by a researcher. She's awesome. She promotes sleep and she's a physical therapist. I'm going to butcher her name, but she's amazing. It's Sign Q Con. <laughs> Dr. S I E N G U K O N. She's amazing. Um, there's really helpful advice on how to like use it in your practice. Nice. Yeah. And I know um, my current mentor right now, who's at this point been on the podcast twice, actually, unless you guys are familiar with him, Brandon Fredhoff. This is something that he has, you know, kind of dived into or dove into or dove into. I don't know how to say it. Um, this is something that he's investigated on his own to include in his clinical practice. And it's been a point of discussion for us a lot uh, in the last several weeks to months as we start to discuss a little bit more of the behavioral component of, you know, patient or athlete management as you start to, you know, familiarize yourself with all of the nuts and bolts of the actual um you know, the typical stuff. And, and then when you find that, hey, maybe there's an area that I'm not addressing with this patient, oftentimes that might be sleep or some other lifestyle related factor. And like you said, the load component, when you're looking at athletes and we're constantly talking about load management and hey, you need to not ramp up your volume all that much and you need to you know be progressive with that and do it in a sensible way or with tendinopathies, we need to build some load tolerance. And we, we like to throw this word around uh, as if the only thing we can modify is activity. But like you said, one of the things that will probably influence load tolerance the most is going to be sleep and nutrition, mm -hmm. right? And so does your body have the calories, the substrates to actually recover, repair, uh, fuel a high performance? Um, and do you then have the amount of time and you know availability to sleep to the extent that you can improve your load tolerance and your load capacity? So sometimes some of that education uh, is something that comes in handy when talking about load management. Um, Go ahead. I have a question. So I get this from patients all the time. They say, so I'm a side sleeper. So I sleep on my stomach. I sleep on my back. And let's say they're coming in for neck pain. How do you handle that, Max or Tyler, if you've ha handled it yet, when they're just like obsessed with these positions at night? Yeah. So I think that the worst thing you can do is immediately dismiss the the, their idea that the position that they're in is related to the pain that they're experiencing. Realistically, it might be related to the pain that they're experiencing. And, and I understand that a lot of the evidence that we have that's emerged in the last several years has, you know, put a damper on some of the narratives around posture and around the relationship between posture and pain. Uh, and sleep is obviously something that you know, we're talking about unconscious postures now, not just fixing posture in your day to day when you are awake to think about it. Now we're talking about fixing posture when you literally aren't even capable of thinking about it. And so I understand a lot of folks hesitance to go down that rabbit hole or their readiness to dismiss that as something that's unrelated or irrelevant to address. Um, now, I think that anytime you're going to educate someone, if you dismiss their beliefs entirely, it doesn't matter what narrative that you think is better that you're going to tell them, they're just not gonna listen. And so it behooves you to probably listen to them a little bit more and be a little bit more inquisitive about why they feel like certain sleep postures are likely to be related to what they're feeling. And you might actually discover 
that they are related, right? And if you ask them, well, tell me a little bit more about why you, like, what do you mean about, you know, feeling like you sleep on your side and that's contributing? Oh, well, I don't know. I've just been, I, I, I changed that way because I used to sleep on my right shoulder. Now I sleep on my left shoulder because I'm having some right shoulder pain and I just don't feel like, I feel like that hurts my neck more. Okay, now that might actually be a plausible change in the load, a plausible change in the stimulus that maybe we can, we can identify a way to modify that and get you sleeping on your right shoulder again, right? And then that will make your neck feel a little bit better. Um, maybe we're in an instance where the person says in your fourth, fifth, sixth question, it's just been since, you know, since I got that new bed that my husband wanted me to get, or I don't know, it's just been these pillows that don't work out. It's like you may uncover things that actually would suggest that changes in their sleep environment and their sleep postures are relevant. So that's a long way to say, like, I think that it's important to recognize that the patient may be more correct than you think that you are. Um, and you have to listen to them to find that out. If you get to a point where you've felt like, I've exhausted all the possible contributing factors here in terms of, you know, the postural stuff. I've asked you questions. You don't seem to directly link the pain that you're having to any specific posture or any specific change in your environment, your bed, your pillows. At that point, I'm probably going to provide you more reassurance that we should probably focus more on ensuring that you get good quality sleep and that being more plausible in its relationship to how you feel than the specific position you were in while you slept, right? But again, I think that it's it's important not to ignore that. If a nerve is irritated and you're putting in it in a position that irritates it more, that makes sense if it contributes to you having more pain. If it's chronic, it doesn't relate super closely to a specific position, then yeah, maybe we're just reassuring them like, hey, we just let's try and get some some good sleep. Maybe we can make some modifications to promote that, but it probably doesn't matter where and how you're sleeping. And even if it did, our our ability to change that is questionable. Um, but I have I have had instances where some folks with say carpal tunnel, right, sleep in a position where they're basically putting them in a, you know, a phalens or, or whatever, they're putting them in a position where their wrist is super flexed. They're probably placing some degree of load or irritation on their median nerve. And you can get them out of that fairly easily. Like, hey, sleep and get yourself one of the pillows that you can like hug, right? Like one of the body pillows. And that way you'll probably just in having your arm around that have a tendency not to flex your wrist excessively that can help make it less sensitive and that's something that because it's a physical object there maybe that does actually create a constraint that doesn't allow you to be in a sensitizing position right and so i tend to go more down that path if we can identify a very specific posture and i have a very clear mechanism to modify that posture i'm very open to doing so but i think the the question that you're you know lobbing me up to spike down is that the posture that you're in in your sleep is unlikely to be significantly related to the pain that you're having and our ability to modify that is something that's worth questioning um 
I don't know if you have anything to add. I think I spoke for like 10 minutes. So do you sleep with the sheets tucked in or untucked? <laughs> That's my follow-up. <laughs> oh, man. Have you seen – you, you watch Seinfeld? Like – not not all the well this would be the episode you have to watch because there's a whole episode about whether or not you should sleep with the sheets tucked in or not i do not want them tucked in tyler i don't want them tucked in yeah me either i don't like the that kind of like (laughs) yeah tucks all around no that kind of like swaddled feeling of like i feel like i'm tight and in a fresh bed like i guess i can appreciate that but as soon as I want to move, and I honestly sometimes, a lot of times don't sleep with sheets at all because I feel like I overheat. And so I'll eventually, midway through the night, I'm just throwing the sheets somewhere else and I'll just sleep like on the, on the bed with no sheet. Um, That's horrifying. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't do that if it was tucked in, or at least it would create considerable mm-hmm. frustration. So that's my answer to that. Awesome. Do you have anything else you want to add uh, either about the postures thing or just about you know other stuff on sleep. I don't think so. I mean, you're welcome to reach out to me personally if you're interested in the research um, on Instagram. It's nishameyer.dpt or you can email me at nisha at precisionperformancept.com. Cool. And uh, same for me, Max lepage.dpt on Instagram, I believe. Did you um, change your last name? Why were you so hesitant? No, because there was at one point where it was Max with two X's LePage, and now it's just Max one X LePage.dpt. I've gone through some changes. Um, anyways, you can find me on the Precision Instagram or, or anywhere uh, on the social medias. You can email me at max at precisionperformancept.com. And do you have any social media you want to drop? Um, yeah, um, you can find me at tylerboy.spt on Instagram. Nice. I uh, hope everyone enjoyed. Again, if you have any questions, reach out to myself, Nisha, or Tyler, and we'll talk to you guys in the next one. Thank you for listening to the Training Room Talk podcast. We hope today's discussion was helpful in illuminating some of the complexities behind pain and rehab. If you don't know where to go from here, please reach out to us with questions. We have mentorship options for clinicians and students and programming options for you to elevate your own fitness. We look forward to speaking with you and again, hope you enjoyed today's discussion.